Ariel Hawani's MMA show is presented by Modelo, brewed for those with a fighting spirit. Hello, friends. It's your old pal, Ariel Hawani, back with a brand new edition of the pod. As always, we got a lot to talk about in the world of MMA, and I'm going to be joined by my good friend, Chell P. Sonnen, to make sense of it all. But holy smokes, there's a lot going on outside of the world of MMA these days as well. As you probably know, a lot going on in the world these days regarding systemic racism and police brutality, all kinds of protests, a lot of people speaking up, and there's tremendous work being done right here at ESPN regarding this subject that is near and dear to many people's hearts. So to make change, we all know that we have to listen to one another and hear different perspectives. So I urge you to find some of those unique perspectives. ESPN has a bunch of podcasts out right now, like the Woj Pod, the Adam Schefter Podcast, the SV Pod, for example. And how about ESPN Daily, hosted by the great Mina Kimes? She has been all over it from the jump as well. And wink, wink, nudge, nudge, you might hear me on an upcoming episode of ESPN Daily very soon as well. So be sure to subscribe and download to all of these great programs wherever you get your podcast. Who's in their car? He'll want to just start yeah. the show. Okay. <laughs> just start the show. Back in your life on this Wednesday, June 10th, 2020. Hello again, everyone. Welcome back to a brand new edition of the podcast. And as always, we are presented by Modelo. Modelo Especial, brewed for those with a fighting spirit. So we got a lot to talk about on today's program. Since we last spoke just a couple of days ago, a lot has happened in the world of UFC. There was an avalanche of news on Tuesday morning, UFC 251, quote-unquote Fight Island, the four events on Yaz Island, Abu Dhabi, uh, Stipe versus DC3. So much going on. And uh, you may have noticed there's no Ariel and the bad guy this week. Uh, we had a previously scheduled off week for the ESPN Plus show. And I said to myself, I can't go through a Wednesday without Chael in my life to make sense of this all. So we're giving you a free version of Ariel and the bad guy right here on the pod. Joining me today is the one and only, the incomparable Chael P. Sonnen. Chael, how are you? Well, the joke's on you because I don't even know what incomparable means, but I think it's a positive. It is a positive. There's no one like you, my friend. Um, it's so great. You know, I really was sad when I found out that there wasn't going to be a show today, an Ariel and the Bad Guy. And so I figured we, we should do it this way and give it away to the, to the people, to the public for free. So here we are. We have a lot to talk about. We have a lot to make sense of. But Chill, I want to start with this. I'm, I'm actually surprised. I'm actually very surprised that you didn't take a victory lap tour recently. You know why? Tell me. Back in August of 2010, when you were getting ready to fight Anderson Silva for the first time at UFC 117, you created a big stir when you proclaimed that Lance Armstrong gave himself cancer by taking PEDs. Do you remember this? I do. And then you went on the Jim Rome show and they played you the audio and you said it sounded like a Hispanic guy who said it and you said it wasn't you and it was a great moment, uh, one of the greatest moments in the history of that program. And here we are 10 years later, a Lance Armstrong 30 for 30 aired on ESPN and they even asked him that question and they brought up how it was possible that this happened. And you said this 10 years ago before he was ever, you know, really accused of any of this stuff. And I felt like you should have taken a tour. You were the first one to bring this up 10 years ago. 
You know what? I just got a text message that you were on Rome earlier today and that, that he rehashed that. So I suppose in some capacity, it's a little bit fun. Now, just to put in perspective for any of our new, uh, listeners that are tuning in, I was marketing and I was, I was getting ready for my own fight and I was, I was using Rome and some of that for a little bit of fun. But, uh, yeah, I suppose in hindsight, p- perhaps an I told you so is in order. Yeah. Cause I'm assuming you still believe it, right? Yes, I, well, Lance, Lance Armstrong at that time, like, you know, like Nike had a building for him and he was all over the place. But if you ever use Lance Armstrong, like at, say the Olympic training center or amongst fellow athletes, uh, it was a bad word. Everybody knew that he was doping. I to this day don't know why he did the big apology tour that he did with Oprah and everybody else. He, he could have just come out and said, here's what's going on in our sport. Maybe they need to change the culture. I wasn't the one to do it. Next question. So, so you actually feel like it was a weak move on his part? I just never understood the whole thing, why he came out, why he lied as long as he did. I mean, so many of these athletes come and do that, and a number of those things that he was taking was good, solid medicine. It wasn't illegal drugs. And I, I've always seen it as an opportunity, you know, not for athletes who, who have made and given some of those medicines a bad rap to use it for cheating, but but for the average person that could use it, he could have used a platform and, and made it a real positive. He didn't have to lie. That was such a great moment, though, with you in Rome. When you see, remember when you said that it sounded like a Hispanic uh, guy who was on the line. It was a bad connection, all that stuff. I mean, that would you say that was the peak? Was that the peak of like you you just being on fire? I mean, you couldn't miss back then. At that time, that was a lot of fun. It was very much a lot of fun. And even Rome, you know, the true professional he is, but he was stumped at the time. Like, it was a level of ridiculousness <laughs> that was just so far it was baffling. And some things in life work that way. Like, mathematicians will tell you, you know, what? how come if I add five stones to a pile of seven stones, it's the same as adding seven stones to a pile of five stones? And the answer is just so obvious that it's almost hard to verbalize. And I feel like I had Rome caught in one of those moments. I was supposed to be on on that segment for 40 seconds and the all-time record was set by Brock Lesnar for any MMA fighter to ever do Rome show and it was 2 minutes and 41 seconds. The reason I bring this up, you couldn't get on Rome show at that time. This was pre the Fox deal. This was well before the worldwide leader stepped into ESPN. So going on Rome was this huge thing and the PR Jen Wink, the PR gal that drove me to the set had told me you're, it's going to be really quick. The longest anyone's got is Brock, and that was two minutes and 41 seconds. I ended up getting over six minutes on Rome's show, and I was a big hero amongst the PR for that reason. Wow, that's great. And that was right before the infamous press conference in San Francisco, where which I think is the greatest pre-fight press conference of all time, when he's wearing the pink shirt and you're just on fire next to Tiago Alves, right? God, I had a dream about him last night. You're talking about Anderson Silva. I had a dream about him. We had a third fight. And, uh, and he choked, he beat me again. I literally woke up thinking, my good, I'm so glad I didn't fight him three times. I'm glad that didn't actually happen. Wow. Just last night? Last night. Woke up. I got up at four o'clock. I've been up since four o'clock and I'm not four o'clock guy. I'm much closer to 6 a.m. guy. Yeah. I got up out of a sleep. I had a nightmare about Anderson Silva. How do you like that? Does that happen often? No, I have I have dreams about it, but not to the point that it wakes up and and, and I can't go back to sleep because it seems so real. Uh, yeah, I really I, I had all the emotions. I was in the locker room. I was feeling the crowd. I mean, the whole bit, the smell of the octagon, which is very unique in and of itself. Um, no, no, not one like that it does not happen very often. Wow, that is amazing. Do you ever dream about other opponents or just him? 
No, I, not, not specifically like an opponent or a match, you know, that I, I had wished had gone different or even the positive ones. For some reason, the positive ones never sleep into my subconscious. You know, it's, it's only the negative thoughts. But uh, no, I, I would say that uh, probably just him. That is crazy. And, and do you ever relive the first fight, the one that happened 10 years ago? We're approaching the, the anniversary in two months. You know, I had to for the first time about six weeks ago. I went oh. on Eddie Five's show. Uh, he's a jujitsu guy, Hicks and Gracie Black Belt out of New York. But he had me on his show, and the show via Zoom was that I watch the first fight and then I commentate it. Now, this is a relatively oh, small show. I don't know if anybody watched. It was a favorite of Eddie, and but that was the first time I've ever actually rewatched that match. And I, I wish I hadn't. It still makes me nervous. My hands still sweat. My stomach still gets sick. I swear to goodness, I watched that fight wondering what the outcome was like, like like hoping it would be different on video than it was in person it's very weird very very surreal for me wow and so even leading up to the second fight you didn't watch it i never rewatched the first one no but i haven't rewatched any of my fights again even if they go well i do not go back and rewatch them because of that and i think that's a flaw i think i would learn more i think i could sit down with coaches study i think that was a miss by me but uh, it's too hard. You know, I get all that, those same anxieties, those same feelings just sitting there watching it, even if I know the outcome. And even if the outcome was positive, I, I don't rewatch. Did your coaches ever try to get you to watch and you just said, no, nah, I'm not feeling this? No, they never did. Clayton rewatched them. Clayton would rewatch them four or five times and take notes and bring it to the gym. But I, I just trusted in him. I never did it myself. Incredible. Well, anyway. I trusted it, it, anything he said. I, I never yeah. second-guessed Clayton Hires. Yeah, I, I know you speak very highly of him. By the way, when's uh, what was the first fight that you worked together? Do you remember? The first fight, yes, it was Paulo Filo 2, oh, a WEC okay. event. And how did you guys link up? He was training a number of Quest guys, uh, predominantly Ryan the Lion Schultz. And I, I went to Ryan and I said, you know, how do I get in with Clay? What's the system? And so I, I, uh, I talked to him in California. He was cornering Matt Lindlin versus somebody. And I, I talked to him uh on the way back from the, or way from the hotel to the airport. I said, Hey, when we get home, you know, can, can I start up? And he said, yes, but I, I didn't know if he meant it or not. He did. And he called the first workout on a Sunday morning at 6 a.m. in the snow, outdoor workout. And that was to see if I was serious. Wow. And you showed up. Oh, yes, I showed up. Of course. I mean, I don't know. Maybe you were sleeping in. You didn't want to be out in the snow. Chael P does not sleep in. I go to bed when it's dark. I get up when it's dark like a man. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. So these are great I'm from memories. The country. You're, if you're laying in bed when the sun's up in the country, you are worthless. I will tell you that. I get up when it's dark, Ariel. Now, are, are we are we using an alarm to wake up, or are we waking up on our own? Oh, always an alarm. I despise the mornings. Every every morning is a struggle for me. Does your I'm wife wake guy. up? Yeah, I know. She loves it. She needs no alarm. She gets up at like four thirty and. Uh, gets coffee, goes in the other room, starts watching television shows. Yeah, she loves. The kids get up about six, so she has about ninety minutes to herself. And you're 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 a big night guy. I, I understand. Like when the the family goes to bed, that's when you watch your movies, right? Your precious movies. That's what I'll, I watch about a movie a day. Believe it or not, I've been I've been I, I say I'm reading a book a day, but I found this app, uh, and you can listen to a book in about fifteen minutes. They'll give you the highlights, and so I take out a book every night. I do a movie every night. And I usually go work out about 11 p.m. I usually start my workout right around 11, get done around midnight. Do you work out every night? Yeah, I just like that time of day, though. You know, if the weather's nice in Oregon, you go out and run. There's nobody in the streets or in there's no cars around, so i got a real small-time feel. If the weather's bad, I'll go in the garage. i got a little weight equipment in there, but I usually work out about 11 o'clock. So what movie did you watch last night? 
Last night, okay, I watched a real piece of crap, but it'll surprise you. It was uh, Kevin James made it, oh. and I watched it assuming it was a, a comedy aerial. He played a convicted white supremacist who escaped prison. It turned out to be a horror film, and the good person in the movie was an 11-year-old girl, and she killed them all. I couldn't believe how violent this movie was. Kevin James made that movie? What's it called? Yes! I don't know. It was it, whatever the girl's name was. It was her name, Helen or Emma. What, whatever the girl's character was. That, that's the whole title. It's one word name. Uh, but yeah, oh, it was. I didn't even know it was a horror film. She pushed one of the bad guys into the water, started up her fishing boat, and backed into him with the motor. And they like showed the whole thing. Is oh, it was very violent. It was not what you would expect. I don't mean to say it lighthearted. It is not what you would expect from a Kevin James film. That I can tell you. And I'm fascinated by the way in which you decide what movies you're going to watch. Like, do you already know what's tonight's movie, and how do you go about picking the movie? No, I'm hurting. I'm hurting really bad just because of this quarantine. I've seen so many films, and I've exhausted. I've exhausted Hulu. I've exhausted Netflix. I've exhausted on demand. It's very, very tough. Which is why you end up with a with, with a bottom of the shelf <laughs> horror film. I'm not. I'm not horror film guy. You know, if I would have known that or seen that in the description, I would have got. I thought I was settling for a comedy. It was Kevin James. I thought Adam Sandler was going to pop up somewhere. I, I, not what I was expecting, but I must tell you, Kevin played a very, very compelling bad guy. I mean, you hated him by the end of the film. He did a good job. And do you pull the plug ever, or do you always see them through? No, I'll pull the plug. Like, I caught one, a real piece of garbage, called Blues Brothers 2000. I mean, that was, if I was in a theater, I'd have got up and walked out. And I, I don't walk out of films. I tough through them. But, I mean, that, that one was unbearable. Just curious, there's, a last... new, there's a new comedy that I just discovered called I'm Sorry. It's it's on Netflix. There's only been two seasons, but it's very funny. I, I started that last night. That was a lot of fun if you're looking for one yourself. I'm Sorry, it's called. Okay. Uh, favorite movie of all time? Young Guns Part 1. Part 2 is right up there, but I'm going to go Part 1. Wow. Okay. I've never seen it. I should probably 1988, see it. 1988, Emilio Estevez, uh, Lou Diamond Phillips, Kristen Slater. Actually, Kristen Slater doesn't come till Part 2. Just a fantastic film. Young, Young Guns, Guns one, of the best, one. one of the best Westerns ever made. It's hard to find a good Western, by the way. That's a very good Western. By the way, uh, when you were on my radio show on Saturday, we played your 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 entrance song, and someone texted me like, why'd you play that country song? I was like, that's Chael's <laughs> entrance song, for God's sake. Have some respect. Why did you pick that song? The late, great Daryl Singletary. You know, I don't have a story behind that other than I, I fantasized of being in the UFC and fighting for championships uh, since 1997. I remember telling a, a teammate of mine from Muay Thai practice, if I ever get in, this is the song I'm going to come out to. It was it was current at that time. It came on the radio, and it was it was a top, top ten. I don't think it ever made it to number one. I just liked it. I thought it was a very fun song, and I told him, if I ever make it, I'm walking out to this song. And so when, when I got that opportunity, I walked out to that song. Nothing more than that. Too Much Fun by Daryl Singletary is the song. It's a yes. classic and not your typical MMA walkout song, but... Uh, no, far more far more appropriate, right? I mean, these guys are coming out to these headbangers that are high on acid when they're writing lyrics that the, the kids think are somehow poetic and deep at thought when they're really not. They're garbage. I came out to a classic song, a guy with a guitar. And I don't mean, I don't mean an electric one. I'm talking a six string, like a true troubadour, like George Strait would play. <laughs> Amen. Amen. All right. I, I suppose we should talk about some news because there's a ton of news going on right now in the world. See, this is what we don't get to news, do on there. News, the excuse me, excuse me. News, this is news. Okay. Not all guitars are created the same. There's an electric guitar and then there is a six string. This is news to a lot of people. 
like me. I've never played either, and I'm not an aficionado. So I'm enjoying. I could do an hour on the, just this stuff, but I do want to. I do want to get your your thoughts on UFC 251. So they announced it Tuesday morning on first take. UFC 251 is happening July 11th on quote unquote Fight Island, aka Yaz Island in Abu Dhabi, and then they're going to do another show on July 15th, 18th, and 25th. So four shows in Abu Dhabi. Chill, you're a tremendous marketer. You're a great promoter. This quote unquote Fight Island business, one Some of the all time best. Some would say the best. Amen. This is one of the all-time great promotion jobs in Dana White's life. The fact that he was able to convince everyone that this is a fight island situation that's exotic with a beach and all this stuff. When they were just there in September, I was there in 2010 when Anderson fought Damian Maya. They've been to Yaz Island before. There are no palm trees or waves crashing behind the octagon or anything like that. He has let everyone's imagination run wild to his credit, selling t-shirts, all this stuff. This is phenomenal work. You must admit. And the most brilliant thing that Dana did is he was able to identify early, oh my goodness, there's something. He just threw out the term fight. He thought nothing of this. The media ran so wild with it. He only had two options. Let their imaginations run and reap the rewards. I mean, John Oliver was doing pieces on it. Jimmy Kimmel commented on it. This was a big deal, whatever fight. You mentioned the merchandising and whatnot. You and I have speculated on it multiple times. Um, the best thing he did was to see that the imagination is better than the reality. Don't give anybody any more facts than you have to until you have to. And yes, I agree with you. This, this was a marketing brilliance. On accident, I think, but brilliance nonetheless. I agree with the on accident. Do you feel let down? Like, cause you remember two months ago, we spoke about Fight Island, right? We spoke about you fighting on Fight Island back in the day, true Fight Island and Bodog fight. Were you hoping that it would actually be an octagon in the middle of the beach with waves crashing behind it? 100%. I had even heard a rumor that, uh, Anthony Robbins has an island like in the Bahamas or something and that that was possibly where it was going to be. I never thought Abu Dhabi. I would have thought you would have just said Abu Dhabi. So when I heard fight, I, yeah, I was kind of picturing the Bahamas. I was picturing something along these lines. Uh, I even heard things a little bit more risque and I, I was waiting for some of those shoes to drop. So uh, was I disappointed? No. Was I thinking it was going to be a little bit more of a tropical place? Yeah, sure I was. I heard the word island. Yeah, you bet I was. So in the end, it's going to happen in this makeshift, I don't want to call it an arena, it's almost like a hangar, Anya's Island, which is essentially the desert, and uh, they, they say that there's going to be a, a cage on the beach for training and whatnot, aesthetic purposes, but the fights are going to happen in this uh, location, and it's basically going to be like a UFC bubble or a safe zone, as they're calling it, Well, they'll have their, their own hotel, their own training facilities, restaurants, all that stuff, and no one else from the outside could go in there. And like I said, they're going to be doing four events there, beginning with July 11th, and the first one has three title fights on the card. And so it's Kamaru Usman against Gilbert Burns for the welterweight title. You've got... Piotr Jan against Jose Aldo for the bantamweight title. And of course, Alexander Volkanovsky versus Max Holloway too for the featherweight title. What do you make of the top of the card, Chael? Do you like it? Oh, I absolutely love it. You know, Burns is such a great story and it's such, it's so conflicting, you know, just to look at, at the welterweight fight. Here you have Kamara Usman, who is somebody that the average person can inspire to be. 
to be the champion and be all these great things, have a beautiful 17 and one record and you're going to be in the hall of fame someday. But people can identify with Gilbert Burns. You're, you can identify with the regular guy willing to take an opportunity, not bucking the system in it for competition. Uh, the spirit and the dream trumps all. He comes out of absolute nowhere. He was a 55 pounder. He amassed, uh, you know, four wins in a row, but did all of them on an undercard. Finally breaks into a main card, right to a co-main event, right to a world title fight. I mean, when we were like looking at the likely suspects to challenge for a championship a month ago, of course you've got Colby, of course you've got T. Wood, and of course you've got Leon Edwards. We even know that Masvidal was given the opportunity, but nowhere was Burns. So for Burns to come behind the pack, yeah, I think it's a bit of a James Raddick story in, in many ways, and I think it's something people just get. So... Obviously, I like the fights in a vacuum. Obviously, they're good fights, and he's a worthy contender, and I don't want it to seem like I'm putting him down. But, Chill, you have to admit, there's there's a bit of a black cloud hanging over this, right? I mean, the fight we wanted to see, the fight we were promised was Jorge Masvidal versus Kamar Usman, and Masvidal's not injured. They couldn't come to terms, and I get that. But what drew you to, at least me as a fan, like what drew me to the UFC back in the day, the early days of the UFC— we put on the fa- the fights that the fans want to see, right? We're not boxing. We won't let politics, money, negotiations get in the way. And that's what happened here. This is a bummer. We wanted to see that fight. They had great heat. It was a great backstory. They had the melee or the, the, the kerfuffle at Super Bowl Media Row. Like, this was the fight that had to happen. The guy's 18 years in the game. He finally gets his title fight. It feels like a bit of a letdown that we're not getting it, no? I would not disagree with you in the moment. I just think there's something very special, again, about a dark horse, about a guy that was not being considered, who when his story gets told, when people find out that he's won eight of his last nine fights, when they find out the struggles, when they find out that he and the champion, his soon-to-be opponent, were teammates for a period of time until Kamara uh, you know, went over to Colorado. I just think there's a lot on this. I will concede to you, listen, champion versus champion, belt versus belt warrior versus hogan just works for me but i really do think that once the story comes out and and they have a little bit of time to promote that we're we're going to be splitting hairs here does it still tip to masvidal yeah probably but i think this is a pretty darn good choice so let me ask you this originally masvidal's issue was that they were offering him less to fight uh usman that they were offering him or that they paid him to fight nathan diaz for the bmf title and he's like wait a second that was a fake belt now i'm fighting for the undisputed title how are you gonna offer me less in the end i'm told they actually ended up offering him at the 11th hour the same amount that he made for nathan diaz but i was told the damage was done they were too far apart and so they went with gilbert burns on on monday do you feel like Masvidal overplayed his hand? Should he have just gone with what the offer was, which essentially became the same that he made for Nathan Diaz? Or do you think that he deserved more? And, and again, it's very hard. I understand. I can see the fact that we don't know the exact numbers, right? So we're kind of going with what both sides are telling us. But the main question is, do you feel like he overplayed his hand here? Well, there's no, there's no disputing that. I, I used to be in real estate and when I would sell a house or, or buy a house for somebody and they would write a ridiculous offer, I would always have to try to explain to my client, writing an offer that does not get accepted doesn't make you a good business person. It makes you homeless. Writing a good offer that gets said yes to is the only way to define this. So of course he's now sitting out. He's, he's on third base wearing a catcher's mitt. There's no way to look at it any other way. 
I do understand his psychology. It is very tough in life to go backwards, but a fight career is a lot like a market. It's not like other sports. And there are some that are red hot, and when it is, everybody participates, and there's some that are an in-between or even a down, and you got to spring back up. I mean, that's just a reality. And, uh... You know, I think that he someday is is likely to to regret that. But there's still wonderful things out there for Masvidal. I would encourage him to start steering in those directions as opposed to using media time to talk about what he didn't get. I would use that opportunity, if it were me, to create something else very big and then have another shot at the table. Right now, he's going to be buying the show on ESPN Plus like everyone else. And I, I don't know that I'd want to be in that spot if I had an opportunity to be in there. By the way... Third base with a catcher's mitt? What are you talking about? You're in third base wearing a catcher's mitt means you're really not in the game. Like, like you feel like you're participating. You want to be part of it, but there's not a whole lot that you can do. You know, you're kind of the odd man out. And I, I don't begrudge him for standing his ground and, and, uh, you know, trying to get a, a good deal and do those things. But I, I would encourage just to answer your question. Did he blow this one? Yeah. World title fights don't just come around. You know, you've got Gilbert Burns, who is ranked number one. Now, you and I don't love the rankings, but he's still ranked number one. And if you're offered a fight over a guy who's ranked number one, I mean, at some point, you have to say thank you. Well, I mean, yeah, fair. Yes, you have to say thank you. But if, if he feels like he's not getting what he thinks he deserves, then there's a bit of a, you know, there's a bit of an issue there. Now, do you feel, okay, obviously, we're in the midst of a pandemic. Do you feel like it's bad form? Like at this point, you should be like, okay, I understand UFC. You're not making money off the gate. You're not making money off the ticket sales. It's bad form to be negotiating or playing hardball right now. Or on the flip side, can you make the argument the fighters never got a cut of the gate in the past? Why should they care about that now? I don't think that you get to make any argument once you sign a deal. A, a deal is a deal. You know, Dana White was on ESPN yesterday. He did something called First Take. And there was a gentleman on there who tried to use Dana's argument against him. Dana said, look, I haven't laid off one person, and I haven't asked one athlete to take less. Baseball right now is in the process of asking every athlete to take 30% less. I didn't do that. And the guy said, well, maybe that's evidence that that's because you're not paying enough in the first place. The reason that was unfair is the argument from day one is that the split isn't right and that that owners are running off with everything. The fact that Dana would have that in the the company's trust to cover the spread in a downtime is evidence that he is not running off with it. He is saving his chips for a rainy day. It started raining, and he's still able to play. So I would only offer for you, a deal is a deal. And you want to say you want to be the same as other sports. Well, excuse me, LeBron James does not get more money because Thursday he's got to go against a tough team, and then he gets less money on Saturday because he's taken on a bum team. You don't renegotiate a deal. If you're a true competitor, Ariel, the right guy will always step forward. NCAA pays nothing. Olympic Games pays nothing. There has never been an Olympic Games or an NCAA Final Eight, Final Four, Championship Game, however you want to do it, where somebody looks to his buddy on the couch and says, you know, I could have done that. I decided to sit the Final Four out this year. Or an Olympic Games, you know, I could have won that gold medal. I decided not to go this quadrant. It doesn't work. The right guy will always step up. Two through 20 are going to argue and find reasons to not step outside the right guy makes that walk every time and by the way the name of that individual who was uh, doing that interview with dana dominique foxworth who has a history being the nfl pa um had uh, several years ago for two years the nfl players association so he knows a lot about labor laws and and labor in sports i'm just wondering and it's a fair analogy to make i want to disagree that he doesn't 
doesn't, but I would argue that he doesn't understand the number one rule of the jungle, which is when you shake hands and say we have a deal, you have a deal. And you don't try to bring it back later because you think somebody got a return on their investment. You understand the person that took the risk has the right to a return on the investment. That's the part that he was missing. That's called ethics. No, I, I understand what you're saying, but would you also not do you do you understand, I, Do you understand? Because sometimes I feel that you don't. Listen, I have heard you say, in all fairness, partner, you know yeah. I, I respect you, but I have heard you say that when these guys are not happy with something, they should sit down and talk. Well, who yeah. are you going to sit down and talk to if you're Dana White and you have 556 athletes that all want that meeting? Who are you going to talk to if you're Dana White and you have 354 employees in Las Vegas alone that all like that meeting? What is the sit down and talk? You sit down one time every two years, you hash out a deal, those guys are giving high fives and taking social media selfies and sending out because they're so happy with it, then the company does their job, which is to promote them and elevate them. These guys get on top of the roof and then they, they pull the ladder up behind them. You either have a deal or you don't. If you don't want to have a deal, then you don't have a company. You have to have a deal. Dana's not the only one negotiating these deals. So to paint the picture that it's him sitting down there and fielding all these calls, these days it's Hunter Campbell, general counsel of the UFC, Sean Shelby, matchmaker, McMaynard, matchmaker. The point that I was trying to make was that's all fair and good, but you know very well, you sign that deal, chill. You're painting a picture that, hey, your deal's a deal, right? What happens if you stink up the joint two fights into that six-fight deal? They can cut you, right? But that's right. part of the deal. That's written yeah. in, oh, Ariel. That's, there, there oh, that's fair enough. Okay, but now we're talking about trying to make changes to the game. Escalation. There's also written in escalation clauses. I mean, it's all fair. It's all written down. It's all agreed to. That's all that I'm arguing. If you don't like the deal, by all, by all means, you don't have to sign it. I won't be sitting here on Ariel's show ranting about you. But if you give your word to do something, you got to go out and do it. You just have to go out and do it. And so many guys will go, well, I've exceeded this deal. Well, as, as business changes and things change, that could be true. And that would be very good for you to bring up at your next negotiation. The way the NFL works that out in large part, broad stroke here, but they will do what's called a signing bonus. Now, a signing bonus is uh, greatly misunderstood when the NFL does it. They do not give you a signing bonus to get you to sign. That signing bonus is a signal that you outperformed your previous contract. And it is meant just as a good ethics way of bringing everything around and get you to understand that should you do it again, we're going to sit down and talk about another one of these. Now, that's not right, wrong, or indifferent, but that's how they do it, and that's why they do it. There's nothing wrong with that. That is very above board, and it's written down, and it's agreed to. You're either a competitor or you aren't. That, that part I will share with you, because you had mentioned the good old days. The good old days when us fans what, what, got what we wanted. Well, when you're talking about the Don Fries and the Randy Couture's and the Mark Coleman's and the Kevin Randall's and the Boss Rootens of the world, these guys were in it for an achievement. These guys were in it to put that belt around their waist and feel special for that one day and that one moment. I think a lot of that is lost, and I think that's a major turnoff. There is less than 1% of the population that will ever be paid to do sport. Everybody else does it for the love of the game. Nobody's wrong. But once you have a deal at anything, you now have a deal. Honor your deal. But you have a situation. How dare you? Excuse me. How dare you try to come back? How dare you try to come back and point the gun at the guy that put you in this position? Well, I know that you feel very strongly about this, and that's why I wanted to have your perspective on today's show, because I know that you feel like, hey, a deal's a deal. You never renegotiated a deal mid-contract? 
I never did. Now, I will share in all fairness, I was with very above board people. When you're working with, uh, with Dana White, the Lorenzo Fertitas, the Scott Cokers of the world, they can look at the numbers. They can see how you did in the media and how, how you promoted it. And they can look at the numbers and, you know, and they're happy to write a check after the fact. They never owed me that. One time Dana White handed me a check. I pushed it back. I said, no, I, I, this wasn't part of the deal. He stopped where he was walking in the hallway. He pushed it into my chest and said, this is the whole reason we do this, kid. And we walked to the press conference. That was right after I beat Nate Marquardt. They gave it fight of the night, and I handed it back to him. That was a new thing at that time. It was, I, I certainly wouldn't give it back. No, but fight of the night was a new thing. I said, man, this isn't part of our deal. Stopped and pushed it in my chest and said, this is the whole reason we do it, kid. Walked off. I said, okay, I get, I get it. Yeah, and, and and there was then afterwards this thing where they would give checks in the back. And, you know, again, the, the conspiracy theorists would say the reason they did that was to keep fighters quiet. I mean, we could we could there, there are both sides to this argument, right, Cheryl? That's that's fair. I mean, you were you a very good partner to the UFC and you are in good standing with the UFC, but you could understand why or maybe not a guy who was in the game 18 years would say, hey, this is my time to cash in. I don't have a lot of years left. I probably shouldn't even be in this position. I was a journeyman. I couldn't ever sniff a title fight. Now here I am about to snip the title fight. I'm going to try to go for broke. Now that's why I asked you the question, did he overplay his hand? Because there's there's a game, right? You can ask for a little bit and they'll probably meet you at some point, but then there's a limit and they'll say, you know what, go take a hike. So apparently in their, in their estimation, he did overplay his hand. Now you know Dana White as well as anyone. Is it possible that the way in which the negotiations went and also the fact that he's making this public the way in which he is, that he never gets a title shot, that they just ice him or that they maybe do a situation where they're like, all right, you know, we'll give you some fights. We don't have to give you a title fight. We're not contractually obligated to give you a title fight. And then you're going to be on, you know, the crap list forever like so many other fighters. Do you foresee that happening? Because it's getting kind of personal here. Yeah, well, listen, I, I think that he will be offered opportunities that are within his contract. I think that that's very fair and that's very above board. Whether he takes those, I, I really don't know. I would like to see it work out. I am very thrilled with where Masvidal is at. I think that Masvidal took the possibly longest road I've ever seen. I have known him since he was 21. He had star potential written all over him. The first day I ever laid eyes on him, which was in an arena in uh, Russia, for Bodog fight, he came walking to the ring with UFC veteran Steve Berger in the ring, no audience in attendance, and he's yelling at Berger from uh, down below what would normally be called the check-in center where they're putting the Vaseline and making sure he's got a cup. He's yelling and pointing at Berger, and I turned to Matt Lindland. I said, this guy needs to fight Nick Diaz. So I'm very thrilled with where George is at, but I, yes, I think you're bringing up a very good point, man. You've got to make hay when the sun shines, and this sport goes very quickly. I don't think there's any better evidence in front of us right now then Gilbert Burns. This guy was not even in talks two weeks ago. People didn't know who he was four weeks ago. I brought him out to Submission Underground to take on Craig Jones. They weren't even the main event, Errol, and that was three months ago. They weren't even the co-main event, and that was three months ago. I only share with you that it is a very quick window, and I have seen this happen before. And I would like to go back to something you said. I know you weren't taking a hard stance on this, but when you do talk about that locker room money as a way to keep guys quiet, quiet. Nobody had spoke up, Ariel. Uh, Bellator does not do this now, and you will not meet a man in the history of the fight game with a more preserved reputation than Scott Coker and Mike Kogan. It just won't happen. They are men of integrity, but also everybody likes them. It's just nobody speaks out. One of the things that happen is when 
the UFC started giving these gifts is guys didn't have my attitude. They didn't try to give them back. They just say, hey, what's the, you don't owe me this. And it kind of backfired in many ways. But when you do talk about that, that was a, a, a preconceived notion by the conspiracy theorists to hush guys up. Ariel, excuse me. They took that model from Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon is a very honorable guy where if you go out and you do WrestleMania, which is a totally different audience in front of a totally different capacity crowd, bringing in totally different revenues all the way down to merchandising, Vince would then send you a bonus. That's where they got that from. It was great business. Nobody complains over there, and they thought nobody would complain here. For some bizarre reason, when those bonuses started coming and they fluctuated in numbers, instead of realizing it's just that, it's a bonus, guys became ungrateful. And I think of that as a very bizarre thing. My father rest his soul. If he was here right now and I ever treated a boss that way, he would still take me behind the barn and teach me the lessons of life. Number one being, you shake hands, you have a deal. There's this uh, sentiment. And I got to tell you, Errol, I got to tell you, because I, I do see you take the other side, which in many ways is the less honorable of the two sides. But what? you're not that guy. Well, it's not. But in all fairness, I mean, you do. You are a very good advocate for the locker room. You are very good at looking out for the boys as a part uh, to the corporation. I believe I am doing the same. I believe I am looking out for the boys and giving them good advice, even though you and I have different opinions. But for anybody that listens to this and thinks that you've ever got squirrely in a deal, you never have. You're known in the industry as a guy who does what he says he'll do when he says he'll do it for a price he says he'll do it for. So whenever I hear you take the other side, I feel like I. I need to disclose to your listeners since you don't you're an honorable man you okay, just and happen I, to think there's times to renegotiate and that always surprises me uh, and, and that's a fair point and i appreciate you bringing that up i think the reason why i do that and i'd like to think that you know i support you know when when the ufc is worthy of support i give them support i'm not trying to just be the the contrarian for the sake of being a contrarian but here's the thing chael you will admit that that's a part of the system, right? Like the system is that we will renegotiate with you. We will give you a new deal if you move up to fight this guy. Like Conor McGregor has essentially been fighting on a one fight deal in the midst of a six fight deal dating back to 2014. Like that's just a part of the game. And so to, to cry foul now and be like, Hey, we have a deal to me is not really fair when you were a part of this deal system in, in, in many respects since the very beginning, like the UFC has never had this stance in the past. A deal is a deal. No, they'll sit down and renegotiate. Connor, John, DC, all these guys, they've renegotiated a bunch of times. And so why is it like this now? Is it because we're in the midst of a pandemic? Is it because there's no gate? That's a fair, that's a fair argument if you want to make that argument, but you can understand why a guy like, Jorge now says, well, now it's my turn to renegotiate. I've been seeing everyone else for the past 18 years renegotiate. Why can't I renegotiate? And then you could say back to him, well, bad timing, bud. Midst of a pandemic, this is when your number gets called and, you know, we'll, we'll live to fight another day. But you will agree, this is not a crazy thing, right? People renegotiate all the time while they're locked into a deal. I, I will tell you, yes, that, that, that does happen a lot. Please understand this. If the UFC has ever made a call, Okay, from 2001 when Dana took over till now, if they have ever made a call to renegotiate is to pay you more money. Now, they might get something, too, which is an extension of the number on the contract and something that they think makes sense for their side. But they will never call you in to take less. And to bring that up right now is very relevant when baseball itself is asking players, if we're going to have a season, you got to take 30 percent less because 40 percent of our revenue comes from the gate of which is gone. We'll figure out the 10 percent and take it on the chin. But we need you to help us. The reason I bring that up is if you do want to come in and go, Dana, look. 
I have earned this. This is special. I'm going to do a great job. and It's a great fight. What do you think about more money? You have the right to say that. But if he comes back and says, I disagree with you, I don't know that it's going to be that big. It's something in hindsight. This whole thing's a gamble for me, and we can talk after. Trust me to do the right thing. He has 20 years, Ariel, of honoring that and doing the right thing. And if he wants to say to you, no, I need to defer back to your contract. Look, let me use the video game, for example, okay? A number of fighters were very upset when they signed away their likeness. There was absolutely no room. Kirk Hendrick was the head of legal at that time. There was absolutely no room for discussion. You were not in on the video game. Well, the video game came out. Dana set 100% of guys a check. A very nice check, by the way. So I just share with you, they have a history of doing things the right way. So if somebody wants to come in and renegotiate, I would not call that guy a dirtbag for doing it. But if he doesn't get the answer that he was seeking, and he therefore uh, pulls his talents back, pulls his stardom back, if you will, that the company gave him, built around him, put a team and a plan together. But I think that that is underhanded. And I will stand by that is wrong. All right, let's take a quick time out here and tell you all once again about our good friends over at Modelo. Modelo Especial. Brewed for those with the fighting spirit. As you know, Modelo is the official beer of the UFC and they partner with the likes of the great Amanda Nunes, who just won this past Saturday. 145, 135-pound champion, soon-to-be mother. She's got it all these days. She also has the fighting spirit, because she never gives up, even if the odds are against her. Great fighters, as you know, are like great beers. It doesn't matter where you come from. It matters what you're made of. Modelo's been the gold standard since 1925. Modelo is a crisp, Pilsner-style lager that set the standard for authentic Mexican beer. Modelo uses premium hops to give the golden lager its crisp taste. So, next time you're tuning into a big UFC fight, such as this weekend's fight, June 13th, Jessica I, Cynthia Calvillo, make sure you've got the beer that's always in your corner, Modelo Especial. Brewed for those with a fighting spirit. Drink responsibly, beer imported, Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. Alright, now back to my conversation with Chelsea Peace Summit. Okay, I think we'll agree on this one. A lot of people are saying, hey, look, Masvidal is complaining about money. Bones complaining about money. Cejudo walks away. Connor is saying that he's retired. And everyone's like, hey, now they're going to unionize. Now they're going to come together. I don't believe for a second that any of this is going to lead to any kind of unionization. Why? Because they're all arguing about different things. Yeah, sure, money is the common denominator. It always is. But they're not all backing each other. And oh, by the way, you don't see any of the fighters uh, who, who are not named those four guys coming out in their defense as well. I don't believe for a second, and I'm not hearing anything behind the scenes that anyone is is organizing some kind of united front to try to go after the UFC. Do you do you feel like it is the beginning of something like that, or do you agree with me that this is just kind of a weird coincidence where you have some big names complaining about money, but there's nothing more to it than that? I can tell you four shows were announced in twenty in the last twenty four hours. One of them has three world title fights on it. So no, if anybody wants to sit out, look, they're welcome to do so. And John John Jones for the first time ever, just to use a name people know that you brought up, for the first time ever is electing to sit out. But don't make believe that he hasn't sat out three years of his career unelected and things moved on just fine without him. You know, don't make believe that Conor McGregor has only won one of his last three contests. 
uh, and those spread over three and a half years, and business did just fine. I mean, I was here when Randy left and Tito left and Ronda was getting ready to leave, and what are we going to do? My goodness, all those stars, those quote-unquote stars do is suck all the air out of the room so you can't build anybody else. As soon as Hogan and Macho Man and Flair all jump over to WCW, then you get, you got a little room for a guy called The Rock and a little room for a guy you might have heard of called Steve Austin that never would have risen up if they still had the, the, the red and yellow tearing his shirt off in every main event. So, no, it's, it's not a big deal. And I will tell you this, the right guy will step up. I can't tell you about two through 20. People have plenty of reasons to get out of a defeat. Uh, and, and hanging your hat on money seems to be one of the most obvious ones. The right guy will have that belt around him. Make no mistake. Okay, so you can make a case, Chell, that the one guy who isn't really arguing about money right now is Connor. Connor comes out and retires on Saturday night, right? He puts out this tweet and everyone rolled their eyes for two reasons. Number one, why'd you have to do it when Amanda Nunes was walking out of the cage? Why'd you have to steal her shine? And number two, we've seen you do this twice before and you always come back and you've told us you're never going to retire. So what the heck? Now, the difference between this time and those two times is that he actually spoke to me later that night and elaborated and said, look, I'm frustrated. I was out 2019. It was a horrible year. I told you I wanted to fight three times this year. I fight once in January. It was an incredible performance, 42nd win. Get me back in there. Let me fight someone. I don't care about anything else. I want to figure out a way to fight because here I am watching everyone else fighting and you're keeping me on the sidelines. You're telling me to wait for the winner of Gaethje versus Habib and have me fight in December. Chill, I get that there's no gate and I understand that they'll lose 15 to $18 million, but they'll do very well on pay-per-view if Connor fights. Don't they have to figure out a way to find this guy fight? And oh, by the way, all of a sudden, Jorge Masvidal is available. Why don't they just figure out a way to do Masvidal versus Connor and everyone's happy? Okay, now, Errol, I think you're on to something there. And, and don't forget, after Connor had said that, and I love his attitude. I love that he wants to stay busy. I love that he wants to get in there. It did get revealed to us 24 hours later that he was offered to fight Ferguson and said, no, look, the, well, the, but the he said a, being, he didn't want to be a replacement fighter. Come on. Well, what do you, think, what do you think it is when you fill in for somebody? What do, what do you think that what they had to say that initially? They can't say that later? That, that was Put the some respect thing on his name. <laughs> Fair enough. I, I will share this with you. He, them and Connor are not in a fight as I see it. I love Connor's attitude. I think they love his attitude. They just see something bigger, which is known as Khabib and down the road. Look, if Connor wants to stay busy, I love that. If Connor wants to operate within his contract, I love all of these different things. I would certainly never turn on his idea. Yes, the retirement seemed very insincere. I want to fight and therefore I will never fight again. I mean, they didn't really go together, but I will tell you from an approach standpoint, he's likely to get what he wants. You look at John Jones's statement. John Jones says, I'm not going to fight until 2021. Is it? Well, John, that's only six months away. Like, what kind of a threat is that? You're threatening to miss one fight of which you haven't signed to do anyway because you don't want to fight Dominic Reyes. I mean, in all fairness, it's, it's just a little bit different. And, and, and I'm more speaking not, not to use uh, my shot here to take it, John Jones. My my point kind of goes back to what you were saying of, are they going to collectively bargain? Look, John is not out there trying to get anybody anything that isn't named John Jones, and all he wants is the word more. So, no, nobody is looking after anyone else, and they don't need to. It can be a very selfish business. There's no teams involved. It's, it's me, myself, and I, and, and they can go ahead and do that. I'm just sharing with you. 
Nobody's going to get hurt except for them. Nobody's going to miss a fight except for the None of us fans are, are, are not going to turn it on. Nobody at ESPN, nobody at the USC. I mean, you're going to move forward. It's just it's the basic rule of show business, which is the show must go on and you, you'll go on with whatever's dealt to you. A movie doesn't get made because, uh, you know, Will Smith pulls out at the last minute. You find somebody and you move forward. There's more people than the one principle. What about this tweet from John? This one kind of didn't sit very well with me. It, he sent this out on June 8th at 4.06 p.m. Eastern Time. If me sitting from fighting somehow helps some fighters in the future get taken care of better, well, I did my job. You're welcome. I mean, come on, John. Like, with all due respect, I think you're tremendous. You're one of the greatest of all time. But don't act like you're some kind of, like, Kurt Flood, if you know that reference from the world of Major League Baseball, that you're sitting out to help your 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 fellow brother, right? I mean, it, it's a little disingenuous to position it that way because he could have had many opportunities in the past to stick up for the little guy. And I thought Ally Quinta's tweet was, uh, in reply to him, was... On point, he replied to him, simply sitting out may not make much of a difference. The fighters have to be brought together. You have the platform and the power or bring a few more champions on board. So I think he was sort of calling him out like, yeah, but you're welcome. Really? What are you doing for everyone else by doing this? To your point, Chael, you're just looking out for yourself. Well, sure, Helwani. That was actually what I was referencing. I appreciate you reading the tweet. I didn't have it in front of me, but that's what I was referencing when he was saying as though he's doing it for somebody else. Like, if you're doing it from somebody else, you wouldn't argue your money. You would say, look, the, the bottom pay, just by example, the bottom pay is 10 and 10. I need to see that 15 and 15. The bottom comes up a little bit. You've got me back. That is what you're doing when you're doing for somebody else. Now, I don't begrudge him. I never did anything for anyone else either. I mean, you've got a right to be selfish within your window. Do what you can get. Get the opportunities you can get. And, and you take, I mean, that, that's the business that we're in. But yes, to come out as though you're a martyr or you're a man of the people. Oh, and by the way, your big threat to the company is that you will be back just later. <laughs> You're kind of scratching your head and go, man, who's running this? And I don't blame John, but but John needs to have a real talk with his management. When I was getting ready to fight John, they had pulled me aside trying to sign me, and they were telling me about the deal that they got John. I never said one word back, and John was standing right there. You can ask him about the story. I didn't say one word back in response, but I then went on Jim Rome and revealed that I was making 25% more than John, and he was the champion, and I was <laughs> right. I couldn't believe what a bad deal that John had. And he was thrilled at the time. But I mean, that's that's the way it goes. If you don't take the time to do the homework and know what other people are making, that's on you. Wow. So they tried to recruit you before you fought him? Yeah, they tried to recruit me. It was all on a handshake. They said that. I mean, that was part of the sale. And they told me what they got. And now you have to understand, it, it, the way John and I worked is we went through the ultimate fighter. So everything was getting coupled in to a final fight. And when I heard his numbers, I was looking, going, oh, my goodness, you just don't know what you're doing. And there's many managers out there that, that you know, they only look at their own guys. They don't make phone calls. They don't talk to other people. They they don't have a network. And and that's a reality of the system. There's there's many ways to structure those deals. But that's that's no different than any level of entertainment. And all entertainment. Entertainment. You will have lawyers. They'll size you up. They'll see what you know, what you ask for, who's happy. Everybody walks away. So we could talk about this stuff for three hours, but we're running out of time. And you know what's so amazing, Chill? I know you're not a big sports fan. Um, I am. I love the NBA. I love baseball. All these other sports, and in particular the media, guys like you and I, they don't have a lot of fun things to talk about right now. We have so much drama, and the drama is fun, right, to a certain degree. But the fights are fun as well, like the card on Saturday was fun. There's just, there's a plethora. I almost feel bad. I almost feel guilty that we have all these fun things to talk about, and all the other sports are still on hiatus right now. Another fun thing to talk about is the fact that Daniel Cormier and Stipe Miocic are going to fight for a third time on August 15th. Dana White announced that yesterday. Now, I'm hearing the reason why they didn't announce a location is 
They're looking at Vegas. They're looking at Arizona or California, and they're holding out hope, believe it or not, that there might be some sort of gate that will allow to be, you know, um, generated for this event. That meaning they'll allow they'll they'll be allowed to have X amount of fans attend these events, which would be gigantic for them. Let me ask you this, Chael. I feel like there's a scenario here where this is the last fight for both men. It's very unique where you have a title fight, especially a heavyweight title fight, and we're staring at a potential retirement situation for both competitors. Daniel Cormier has said, win or lose, he's done. I believe if Stipe loses, and maybe even if he wins as well, that he may be done too. You see what I'm saying here? This is kind of crazy. Very much so, yes. It's definitely Daniel's last fight. Uh, Definitely is me and my own opinion of his sincerity. And I, I believe it fully, 100%, that he is going to walk away. And Stipe is eluded, never quite as strong as Daniel and maybe not even 50% as strong as Daniel, that he's also winding down. And it does make you wonder if Stipe gets done with Daniel, what is next in terms of legacy? If you want to go out there and rack him up and have some fun and and stay in the business, he can't. But his next fight would be against Engano. I think every, everything is pointing in that direction, and you and I, I don't think, would have much of an argument there. He already stomped out Engano. I mean, it was five rounds. Not one of those rounds was competitive. If he comes in and fights Engano again, he's going to beat him another five rounds. It's going to be 10-0 Stipe. And then what do you do? Then he walks away, and Engano comes and grabs his strap and runs with it for three years with a big asterisk next to his name. I'm the champion as long as Stipe stays retired. I mean, it, it does get to a pretty interesting place in the division. And so do you believe, though, I know you just alluded to what Daniel has said, but come on, if he wins in 30 seconds, right, you don't think they try to do John versus DC3 as the real retirement fight, or do you think he walks away regardless? Yes, I think that they would try to fight, uh, do that. I think that that uh, vendetta... Uh, has weakened. Both of these guys came out and tipped their hat to the other one. And, and I think that's a very nice thing for camaraderie. It, it is not a nice thing uh, for the fans in the fight business when you have a true grudge and, and, and they appear to publicly bury the hatchet. If they try to manufacture something, I mean, look, that fight doesn't work without the grudge. So, uh, yeah, I think you could be right that they would try to, you know, maybe make a half-hearted phone call, take both guys' temperatures. But no, I am, I am very light on the idea that it happens. If, if Daniel gets that win and leaves as the world champion, I, I think he, uh, the competitor in him, I think he will be very happy. Okay. Um, before I let you go, a quick game of true or false. True or false, they'll book Conor McGregor versus Jorge Masvidal sooner rather than later to make both guys happy. False, sadly, but false. So do you think Connor gets anyone, or do you think he actually waits for the winner of Gaethje and Habib? It's looking like he's going to have to wait. I do think that Nate Diaz would be uh, very possible. At some point, they're going to play that card. I don't see the Masvidal one, though I would argue for for you. That is possibly the biggest fight you could possibly book right now. Yeah, that is crazy. That is. That is I agree with you. Thing. That is sitting right in front of us, right in front of us, and somehow not happening. I I agree with you. That's bizarre. True or false, July 11th will be Paige Van Zandt's final UFC fight. I believe that to be true. I think that, uh, I think that she is interested in doing something else. And I don't come to you as her as my teammate with insider knowledge. Um, but she just kind of what she said publicly. She's made it look like maybe she's going to join her husband in Bellator. Yeah, her husband being uh, Austin Vanderford. Uh, true or false, in the end, some way, somehow, Aljamain Sterling slides in there and fights for the belt on July 11th. False. You think it I ends believe, up being Jan? And- 
Yeah, I think you're going to have Jan and, and Jose, but I also think that Cody Garbrandt would leapfrog uh, Aljamain. Really? I thought that was a little. I thought that was a little bizarre in the first place when they identified the contenders match to be uh, Aljo and Sanhagen when the same weight class with a former world champion was two spots later on the same card. I don't know how you could do a weight class on the same card and act as though the one that walks out first is the feature of the two fights. That never sat well with me. I, I never bought it from Jump Street. True or false, Holloway figures, is out, figures it out and beats Alex Volkanovsky on July 11th. False? Very possible, though. I personally thought that he beat Volkanovsky the first night when they wow. went to a decision. Wow. Uh, many people I was watching with, you included, were pretty sure that it was Volkanovsky. I saw it differently. I thought it was 3-2 and they were going to raise Max's hand. Wow. Okay. I didn't, I, you know, I don't remember that, but I guess, uh, I guess, I guess you're telling the truth. So I'll take your word for it. Chill. This has been fun. I mean, we got a little heated there for a second. You were kind of getting a little bit testy towards me, but I kind of like that. Mm, you know what, Helwani? <laughs> Goodbye. There he is. Chael Sonnen, everyone. Hope you enjoyed that. Usually we go toe-to-toe on Wednesdays for our show, Ariel and the Bad Guy on ESPN+. And, you know, in this particular forum... I'm more teeing him up, asking him questions. I know he was getting all testy with me, but he likes to do that. I think it makes him feel like he's alive, like he's actually doing his part. And I'll, I'll give him that victory on this particular Wednesday, but I'll come back his way. And if you like the banter, by the way, I do hope that you'll check out Ariel and the Bad Guy on ESPN Plus, because let's not forget, we kind of built ESPN Plus with our hands off our backs. Now, Time for everyone's favorite segment of the week. It is time for TST's Minimalist Tip of the Week. And as always, it is brought to you by Modelo. Modelo Especial, setting the gold standard for authentic Mexican beer since 1925. Modelo, brewed for those with a fighting spirit. TST's Minimalist Tip of the Week. I like Shale's son more and more each time I listen to him talk because he wakes up very early in the morning in the dark like I do. I love it. I can't say anything in return, TST, because I've been told that we're on a strict clock here. So you got to go and we got to end this. <laughs> so yeah, strict clock. Okay, so this week's tip, what I want people to think about when they're considering getting rid of things is to ask yourself the question, okay, because many people save things for, for just in case, right? Just in case I need this. And there's all these just in case items that we have in case of emergencies and more oftentimes than not, those just-in-case items we haven't used in 10 years or so. So when you have a just-in-case item, you need to get rid of it because chances are you don't use it. And in most cases, those just-in-case items are under $10, $20. So if you ever need it 10 years from now, you can just go back and get it again. You don't need it to clutter your house. The question that you need to ask yourself when you have that item is, is it a just-for-when item? When am I going to use this? When am I sure that I'm going to use this? So get rid of the just-in-case items in favor of just-for-when that you know will be used in a timely manner. And shout-out to Justin Credible, the former 
ECW and WWF star when you kept saying just in case it reminded me of just in case. Goes right over my head. Yes. Um, I'd love to say something in return, but I've been told 60 minutes. These days we gotta be 60 minutes. It's a very tight ship that TST is running. So unfortunately, TST, we're out of time. You see what happens on the back end when I can't do the banter? Out of time, no more banter for you. Now, UFC returns on Saturday, June 13th, like I said, on ESPN and ESPN+. Plus. We got a 6 p.m. Eastern start time with the prelims, and then the main card starts at 9 p.m. Eastern. Jessica I versus Cynthia Calvillo is the main event. Important fight at 125. Also of note, Carl Roberson versus Marvin Vittori. They're finally going to try to make that fight happen. The one I'm most looking forward to on the card, by the way, Andre Touchy-Feely against Montreal's own Charles Jordan. Yes, uh, a Montreal fighter didn't do very well last weekend. Felicia Spencer, Jordan is a big-time star, up-and-coming star, I should say. Touchy-feely, always a lot of fun. So to me, that's the people's main event on this particular card. All right, we're out of time. Thank you very much to Chael P. Sonnen for waxing poetic and for sharing his wisdom with all of us. And thanks to all of you. Let me ask you a favor. Can you just like download, rate, review, and subscribe to the show a million times and do whatever it is that you do to move up, up the ranks so that they stop telling me that the show has to be 60 minutes. I'd appreciate that very much. Can you do that for a brother? Can you help me out? I'm trying to put out good free content for all of you, and I would appreciate your help. Okay? Okay. Deal? Deal. Enjoy the fights on Saturday, friends. I'll talk to you next week. Bye.